You're listening to Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American Podcast, Episode 88. Welcome to the Carry On Friends Podcast, where you'll be inspired and empowered to do amazing things in your personal lives, career, business, and community. With your host, Carrie Ann Reed Brown. Hey everyone, if it's June, you know what time it is. It's Caribbean American Heritage Month, where we celebrate the contributions of Caribbean Americans to America and the world. Well, but technically America, since we're only recognizing it in America. But anyway, I digress. Welcome to another episode of the show. And I wanted to kick off Caribbean American Heritage Month with this show on narrative justice and telling stories. Everybody, you, you hear it a lot, right? Telling stories and stories are important. And so I had um, Judith Registre, who's Haitian, to come on and explain a little bit about telling the story or telling your story and owning your narrative. I also want to let you know, usually in Caribbean Heritage Month, Caribbean American Heritage Month, I do bonus episodes. So look out for this month. We have new episodes dropping every week in June. And that only happens in June because that's what you do when you're celebrating Caribbean American Heritage Month. With that said, I won't keep you any longer. Check out this episode with Judith. Judith, welcome to the community. Please tell everyone a little bit about who you are, where you're representing and all that good stuff. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for having me on the show. Let me just say I've been wanting to be on your show since I found out about your show. So I am I felt like this is one of my biggest accomplishments as a podcaster oh. to be on the show of another fellow podcaster like you. So oh. thank you for having me. Thank you for being on here. It's like when we when we connect look it was kismet the way we connected at the airport in Haiti last year. I was talking to someone else about podcasting and you came around and we just it was just it's so it was perfect. It was meant to be. Well, that is a nice segue. I am obsessed with podcasting. So wherever I am, somebody's talking about podcasting. I want to be part of the conversation. So by way of representation, we met uh, in Haiti, where I'm from originally. Yes. I was born in Haiti. I grew up in the U.S. from the age of 12. Um, I am one of those. I'm part of the group of Haitian that migrated to the U.S. in the 80s. Uh, my mother was living here and I. Uh, they were sent for me the way many of us that came to the States at a young age. And I came here, um, you know, when you're 12, 12 is a good age to mm-hmm. actually move to a new country. You have enough memory to understand and remember your background and uh, young enough to adapt to a new culture. Yes, true. But it was a very challenging time when I came to the U.S. in the 80s. Uh, I came into Trenton, New Jersey. In junior high, it was the 80s. It was a period when being a Haitian was associated with HIV AIDS. Uh, mm. The AIDS epidemic had been sort of globally known and Haitian was somehow associated with it. And I got bullied a few times when people came up to me and asked me a question about where I was from. And I said, you know, I was from Haiti. And I one time I got like punched in the face and got name calling. And so, you know. Not to go too deep into the conversation, but that journey has taken me around the world. Uh, after graduate school uh, in Washington, D.C., I left and started working internationally. And the theme of how one single story about a group of population impact the experience of those individuals have been with me, I think. The U.S. provided me that base 
that's taking me across uh, Asia, Africa, Latin America, working in international development to see how populations are um, are framed through this one narrative that is often not created by them. And that's been sort of like a long lifelong mission for me in terms of kind of the work that I do and why I think podcasting is such a powerful tool. why I had to sort of like come up to you at the airport in Haiti to sort of say, so you are a podcaster. I'm a podcaster. We should talk. Yes. So, um, you know, I'm prone to, to talk a lot. So I'm going to like in my intro right here. Awesome. Uh, no, that's a good intro because I love it because I feel the conversation and the energy because it's love. And then we, we met up again at Podcast Movement. So it's like we've been having these conversations about creating our stories and narratives. So the podcast, you know, your podcast is, you know, about telling stories for social progress. I'm my podcast is about sharing or having other people in the Caribbean tell their stories, create a platform for them to tell their stories. So you're from Haiti, and basically what you do is travel around the world to help people control the narratives as opposed to having the single story, you know, dictate or create a, what do you call it? Um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? A summary about everyone within a particular you know, country or culture. So, you know, I'm Jamaican. So, you know, we all get this name that um, I shared on an earlier episode that people assumed that my co I had a coworker who assumed that I smoked weed. <laughs> it doesn't get better than that. <laughs> yeah. He like, he, you know, you're, how, how are you Jamaican and not smoke weed? I'm like, ah, I, I, I don't I'm Sorry. I don't, I don't Whoa. get it. Yes. So, this this is perfect. So you know why um, why are narratives important, especially for Caribbean or Caribbean Americans? You know, as opposed to waiting for someone else to tell our story, why do we need to start telling our story and how how we can start doing that? Maybe people don't want to get into podcasting, but we're here in this space. How can we do that to reclaim? or stories and our identities and get empowered. I, I said a lot there, but I know you. this is all you every day. Yeah, I mean, let me start by sort of like your coworker, the assumption that because you're Jamaican, you therefore must smoke ganja, right? Yes. And the, the thing about narrative is, you know, our brains are wired for narratives, like our ancestors for generations, um centuries, our ancestors across the world, we, history, traditions are passed on through stories, Mm -hmm. both good and bad. And I think if you look at our education systems, it's shaping our mind to have a certain way to see the world, to function in the world, to be in the world. And when that happens, and you live in a world where the narrative is about you and the people that you belong to, the community that you belong to, the country in which you were born, the places in which you are part of, when those stories and narratives about who you are, how you exist in the world are not shaped by you, it impacts you. Whether it's shaped by you or not shaped by you, it impacts you. Now, imagine if it's negative and it's not shaped by you, right? To be Black in America, the association of Black women being angry. The challenge is we are fed those narratives. They become nutrition. I believe food and words are one of the medicines and we take every day. We give it and we take it every day. Mm -hmm. What we say to people, how we say it, make them feel a certain way. What we say about 
them. And I think if you look at colonialism, the power of colonialism for those of us who are part of country that's been colonized is not that people were enslaved. It's the mental slavery. Mm-hmm. It's the psychological slavery that's been more powerful. It's the belief that people have about us, that we hold the same belief about us that impacts our ability to function in the world. And I'll have to be honest with you. When that happened to me, uh, when I came in and how people just associated Haiti with everyone being from that country having HIV AIDS, I didn't fully understand that. It took me years to travel around the world. And I ended up in Congo where I was working with women survivors of war and conflict. And Congo was deemed sort of the rape capital of the world, the worst place to be a woman. All these frames are great to attract headlines, but these are people's lives. These are people, they are people who are impacted by these sort of taglines, um, you know, media attracting about a country. And mm-hmm. I remember one woman I was working with told me, I understand that those of you who work in the international community supporting rape survivors feel that it's important to get funding. And so you use these terms to express um, the devastation about the country. But what you don't realize is that the framing of, of us creates this narrative that makes people see us in a certain way. And very often we don't get out of these narratives. Things don't change and the narratives change with them unless you change the narratives. And very often that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. I remember being, being very you know, taken by that. And I remember going back to coming to the U.S. in my experience as a child. So throughout my journey, this theme has been reoccurring and reoccurring. And we see it every day, right? Certain countries, certain groups of population. It's not just what we believe about ourselves that matters. What people believe about us matters equally. And if we are not in a position to actually figure out what stories we want to tell about us, what do we want people to believe about us? But first of all, what do we what do we believe about ourselves? Mm-hmm. And so for me, the podcast is one way because we are I'm part of an old tradition. It's one, one way and the most affordable way I can begin to tap into the conversation to influence hearts and minds. I've been doing it in some capacity in my work. But I think now more than ever, we need to think about narratives in the way narratives are being I think about the algorithm, the internet, right? Mm -hmm. How information on the internet, what we're putting in on the internet, how it impacts our lives, not just now in social media, but what it will mean in the future. I think we have a unique opportunity to reframe the narratives about us from Mm -hmm. the historical framework that's been put about us to create something that our children can know about us that's, that's, accessible to them, right? I think for me, it's important now not just to change narratives about us for the broader community, while I think that's important, what will we have our children believe? And I'm going to say one quick example why this is important for me. In high school, I was in an American history class, and one teacher, this was a white teacher, and I went to a predominantly black school in Trenton, New Jersey. And I remember the textbook if you went to school around that time, most American history books, they don't have a lot of information about, you know, blacks outside slavery. And I remember the teacher talking about how blacks, all they were in history was slaves. 
And I remember raising my hand, challenging the idea that all we were were slaves to give the example of the Haitian Revolution and all Mm -hmm. the things that black black people had achieved elsewhere in the world. And uh, had it not been for my own sort of like home education about the Haitian Revolution, I don't think I would have been able to walk away out of that class feeling any sense of dignity as a human in terms of what I would be able to achieve in the world. So by way of a long response to your question, from our personal lives to our relationship with one another, to the broader community and to our children, I think it's important for us to like reclaim the very basic narrative of exposure in terms of who we are, but also the basic narrative of how the world perceive us to reclaim some of those um, negative perception about who we are and what we do. You know, I, I, I love everything that you said. I just, I just love it. It's almost like, you know, we, we, we come up with these, like you said, the one liners and I get it, you know, like for a long time, you know, you've moved to DC, but for a long time I knew DC as the murder capital. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, like even that story you told about history, I remember, I experienced, I remember looking at books here and, you know, the beauty of my experience living here is like I went to high school in Jamaica up until the ninth grade. So in the ninth grade is when I studied a lot of the Haitian Revolution, the the Jacobins. You know, we knew about like the slaves, you know, the, the Maroons. And so when you come here and the narrative is more about you were all slaves, sharecroppers, and there was nothing else before or after that you were savages and then you became slaves and now you are inferior you know that was kind of like a prepackaged thing that you were handed and having that carib that experience just like you said of who we were and and the the good thing about also being caribbean americans a lot of our music tends to celebrate the the um, the triumphs of our African ancestors. So we have that, like you said, from the oral tradition. But, you know, imagine other people who don't have that opportunity to have an, an alternative, you know, narrative that was somewhat preserved, whether it's in poetry or um, or in music or like in Jamaica, there's still, you know, a community of Maroons that live that has a really strong history. So, all right. So you said podcasting is one of the ways that you could change the narrative. Um, but how do people begin to recognize the narrative that has been created first? Um, which comes first, the narrative they've created for themselves? This is, I think this is a, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? So how do yeah. people identify the narratives that have been created for them that they haven't, they, that they don't find aligns with who they, they are internally. Um, I think that's kind of where it starts. In order to know what narrative to change, you kind of have to know which, what you don't align with or what you don't see as your reality, whether it's in the home or, you know, in your community. You know, that's a really good question. I have never thought about the way you're framing the question in a way that I feel like I did an audit of this whole idea of narratives because it kept showing up and it kept showing up in the way that I think I'm treated in public spaces or um, I was treated as a director leading an international organization because usually someone like me does not go to represent a a big international organization. They tend to be white. They tend to be male. If they're not male, they are female. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
I think these narrative uh, framing, we experience them on a day to day, right? I mean, I think the Starbucks recently, the Starbucks situation recently in um, Philly is an example. So let me let me go back to the the classroom situation. What I found at that moment, there's a spiritual energy that communicates when something doesn't feel right. And every time these things happen, I remember the kids in the class, all of us starting to feel small. And it was that moment I raised my hand to sort of share the story of the Haitian revolution of it's not true that all blacks are slave and that's all we ever wore. And I remember the kids in the class at that moment sort of being curious that there could be more to being black in the world than just slave, right? Mm-hmm. So there is this, these things are happening to us every day, right? People are being, we are being challenged every day. Um, and we, ch- we are challenging ourselves as much as the world is challenging us about who we are and what we belong. I think whether you're black, white, male, um, the idea that you're entitled if you're white male to a world that cater to you, you need to question that if you don't, right? Mm-hmm. I think at a personal level, we need to, to do what I call personal audit of personal narrative artist in terms of what story are we tell are we telling ourselves about who we are and it doesn't just have to be about the historical framework it's about what we believe that is possible for us to exist in the world mm-hmm. and sometimes it's in the relationship we are in sometimes it's you know the little things we say never do this you should behave this way um, you should be like so and so is this who you want to be Few of us have taken the time to actually craft. If we were the author for the book of our lives, what would that be? I think at a personal level, we have an opportunity to do that every day. We don't think about it that way because we think the world just happened to us. But we are creating the world around us as the world around us is creating us, right? And so how do we do the work at the personal level on the mundane things like, you know, how you treat yourself, whether it's self-love, self-care, how do you treat other people? Uh, I'm big on kindness. Uh, it's something I started to practice recently. Um, but it's something I started that started to emerge mostly in my work in international um, justice and women's rights. That you find working with women that they take so much, they do so much and they don't see the value in who they are. And it's also the origin of why the word get empowered, like recognize the power you have is so important for me and not just look for someone to empower you, which means that the power exists somewhere else and not in you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a direct response to your question is how do we figure out at a very personal level around the things we can claim to have control in our lives, however limited they are, what do we believe that control to be? Who gave us that belief that this was possible for us or it was not possible for us and do we believe that it's possible for us or do we think we can change that i think at a very personal level if we begin that journey we then can start to challenging the broader social structures but that broader social structures will be first in your family then in your community because you know being haitian there are certain expectations that you're supposed to behave in a certain way you know, um, I remember when I was going to college, I, I studied in, I, I majored in philosophy, both for undergrad and graduate studies, right? Now, for an immigrant child, mm-hmm. you go and be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, <laughs> something that is clear, something your parents can be proud of, some things that people can explain. And I remember people asking me, what are you going to do with philosophy? Nobody studied philosophy, but I just remember that I was 
interested in people, cultures, and philosophy gave me that base to understand that. But I had to overcome all the ideology in the stories and the narratives about what I was supposed to study because of who I was or because there was no job in the future for someone who studied philosophy. Mm-hmm. So I hope I've provided enough clarity in terms of ways we could tap into what I call a personal narrative audit to begin to understand what are the narratives that we hold and carried in value and do we want to hold on to them or do we want to change them? And I think that's the first step. I love this conversation. All right. So <laughs> what you just said, I'll share a quick personal story. Um, for, but let me just back up. You said something that is so golden and I have to hold on to it. Narratives. And I, I, I realize that we use the term narratives, but narratives are really stories, oral stories yes. or just any stories mm-hmm. that we tell ourselves. Right. And you said narratives feed us. They become nutrition. Nutrition yes. is either good or bad. And our narratives yes. are the, nu- the nutrition that we feed our minds that then trickle yes. down to the other parts of us. Genius. Fabulous. So I remember 2015, um, I was sitting in the salon and, you know, I was talking to the stylist and um, there was this philosopher, um, this, this college professor, she was in there and she was, she said something to me and I was like, no, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be on the front page because I can't. And she's like, why? So I started to share a story that happened to me when I was younger and I was like, you know, this happened and, you know, everyone was kind of upset that, you know, why is she this and why is she all over the place? And I said from then, you know, I just kind of I slunk back because I don't want anyone else to feel a particular way. Ooh. And then mm. she was like, why don't you stop telling yourself that story that you can't be this person or have this voice because this happened to you in your childhood because you are using that as an excuse for why you shouldn't use what I mean I'm just sitting here talking here shop you know here salon talk with you and I sense this but you are telling me that this thing happened to you at 13 because you were in church and you were all things in church and a few people probably didn't like that you were all things in church and so you've used that as a crutch to not be all things in life and it was just Mm. And that was like, I was, I walked out of the salon that December cause I was getting ready for my office holiday party. And I had to stop telling myself that story. I think this is, I, I think this is probably that one time I can remember retelling that story. But from that moment, it was a conscious effort to stop telling my story as to why I slunk to the background because I I wanted to dim my light because growing up, I had that one incident where, you know, someone was not happy that I shone so bright and it wasn't Mm -hmm. intentional that I was shining bright. I had no choice. My grandmother said I had to do this, you know, so that was a whole other thing. But it was, you know, basically sometimes we we dim ourselves and our lights based on. Uh, an experience and often it's usually a childhood experience because they have they 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 carry that impact greater than let's say when you're an adult because you have more years to kind of have that you know settle into your dna and you retell the story and it takes on different meanings and and we attach them to different activities or events in our lives so you saying that 
part of telling or changing narratives, we have to start with a personal audit. What are the stories that we're telling ourselves that we're holding on to and, and need to shed before we can then, you know, help others change the narratives about ourselves. So I really love that. Uh, this is such and, a good... And, and, yeah, and take it around, take, take the bigger challenges, right? Because I think the story you just told us, what that meant for you to have that understanding in terms of how you're raising your children, right? Mm -hmm. It's a story about you. And I remember our mutual friend, Stefan um, Hart, with his show, he had one um, guest who talked about your story is about you, but it is not for you. Yep. I I say that all the time. (laughs) Right? And the story you just told is a classic example of how that story is important for you. But I imagine as a mom, mm-hmm. how you're raising your children to actually, you know, support themselves in a way they don't let their lights um, dim so someone else can feel comfortable. And how do they build a network of people who needs the light that they are to, for that light to continue to shine because they need that light. The world needs your light, Right. And I think at a personal level, it's so important for us to actually do these regular audits of ourselves, the relationship we have with ourselves, the relationship we have with those around us. But for me, the kids we have in our universe, how are we supporting them so they can step into the light and the power that they have and that they are, that they can nurture? So just a quick recap, um, because we we talked about so much and I just want the audience to kind of zoom in. You know, the narratives or stories that others create about us that we don't have control over or the narratives we create about ourselves often require a personal audit of how we view ourselves and maybe identify the single the, 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 the single event or the particular event that was the beginning of us creating a particular narratives because we all have different narratives about our lives, but there's usually a couple that dominate. And in order to start recreating them, we have to focus on the one that is the bigger narrative that we're holding on to, to, to define ourselves. So first, it's a personal audit. So once we've done this personal audit, what do we do next? Well, I think when you do the personal audit will shift you and how you respond to the world. Now, let me be very clear to not confuse things. I think the personal audit is important because I witnessed so much of my challenge in the way I was trying to change the world mm-hmm. um, meant that I had to change myself. So I had to take on that first step. That said, I am in the business of narrative justice because I believe that policies of frame that impacts our lives based on these beliefs, based on these narratives. I mean, whether it's slavery that had to sort of create this belief and narrative that we were somehow inferior or less intelligent than whites for these policies to be justified, right? But it was not just that these policies were justified on that basis, that we started to believe that we were less inferior, right? Mm-hmm. And what's always striking for me in the bigger and much broader context around slavery and this belief that blacks were less intelligent is the fact that we created policies to reinforce this belief. Whereas if we actually believe, and when I say we, I'm speaking to uh, the power that be, the government that put those policy in place against black people. If they actually believe that blacks were less inferior, why 
did they create policies to deny us access to education? Because if we're not that edgy, that that smart, make it possible for us to gain access to the education uh, so we can be a little smarter. But that was not those policies were not really about the truth about who we were. They were about creating a world where we would be in a place where we'd be in our place, where we would be in a position they had defined for us. Now, as I'm saying this to you, we deal every day with the personal and the structural, right? The structurals or the policies, the institutions and things that are in place that demand us to be in a certain way. Now, let's go back to your question. We do the personal audit, now what? I think if you... Any one of us have done a personal audit of our lives if we're struggling in any area of our lives and we tap into the source of what may be the source of that challenge. You walk away being transformed personally, but that transformation at a personal level push you to address and deal with bigger social issues. And sometimes it's your family, right? Uh, if you If you were abused as a child, what that did to you in terms of which kind of adult that you became. Once you took on that challenge, you may now begin to sort of change your expectations and your relationship with your family, right? Mm. So that's another level. Like, you know, the family is the first institutions that's created to 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 serve us or to to conform our behavior, right? So once you take that level of personal, you move to the family as a first institution, your engagement with the world changes, right? I think you think about all the great people we can step back into in our history, whether it's um, Martin Luther King or Toussaint Louverture, whoever those people were um, in our past who did something we consider to be forefathers and foremothers of liberation to give us the opportunity to work, to create the space so we could have the opportunity to be here. I'm pretty certain they went to a personal narrative transformation. I'm not saying that's what they call of it, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty certain they actually assessed the stories that they, they were told about the world, the stories they were told about themselves, and they had to transform those stories to become and to create the kind of world that we now have, we can enjoy. So, the personal story is important because it's the first step. But once you do that first step, you now have to ask the question, what do you want for your life? Mm. And that is something each and every single one of us will decide what we're going to do next, because what we do next depends on what we want. Personally, what I did with my was started this organization called Inclusivist, which is um, an organization that works to... I call it, we work to transform narrative justice. And the way we do that is, first we have the initial podcast, a big thing of what we are going to do, and we're still in building mode right now. Uh, In addition to the current podcast I have called the Get Empowered Podcast, where I speak with individuals like you who are shaping and transforming their communities through the transformation of themselves, but also to the kind of work that they are doing in, in the environment to impact other people's lives, right? right? Mm-hmm. I'm working on three other podcasts, one called The Haitian CEO, because I think we think about Haiti often as basically a place where nothing works unless international community come in, the government is dysfunction. But I'm part of a network and know a bunch of great people who are leading businesses who are transforming the, the country. So there's going to be conversation with those individuals. I'm in conversation 
and building another one called Humanity and Aid, looking at the international aid sector and how it treats people in communities. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, back to this narrative framework, right? This kind of colonial mindset you go in. If you see people as, you know, vulnerable, limited in capacity, you can't see their potential beyond what you believe about them. So that podcast is going to be about those things. So I'm building a number of um, projects to... To, to to advance this thing I call narrative justice. That's how I took my personal narrative audit to from the personal level to a much bigger movement that I'm working now around building an organization that advances the cause of narrative justice. Awesome. We are building networks because I'm also working on a couple of projects. It's a little early to say, but I know you were holding me accountable to this, but you know, I, I want to thank you for being on the show. And if, if, if the audience doesn't do anything else, what's one thing you would like them to do when it comes to creating their narratives or changing their narratives? Take the time and do a personal audit of what you believe about yourself, what you believe around the world, about the world, and where, what was the source of those beliefs? And do you still believe in them? Do they help your life? And do you want to keep having them? Uh, are they serving you, right? Uh, I think doing a personal narrative audit to see how the narratives that you hold serve your life or don't serve your life, I think is a beginning step. But don't be afraid. Like, Do it and find the network of people who believe in you, who can see your light. Because uh, too often we need to be in the company of people who see us beyond the limited framework that we believe about ourselves. So if you're going to engage in that conversation with yourself, Find people who sees you in a higher light than you may see yourself. Is ain't that the truth? Because I'm <laughs> I started writing a book and one chapter is believe in those who believe in you because Ooh. they carry you much further than you know, because when you're down here, like, you know, I'm gonna shrink, they're like, come on, let's go. And that has been like one of the big things that has helped me get out of that story that I told you about dimming my light. There were people who were like, mm. I have no idea what you're talking about. Let's go. And the only, and it was very interesting. Those people are oftentimes bosses. Like there's one boss that I, I shared the story and he was just trying to understand a white male who's trying to understand, like you are like, I, I don't understand, but because he's a boss and he gave like an, something for me to do, I had to do it. I had to lean into it, but it was believing him and, um, there was something that I also learned that we are quicker to do something for others as opposed to kind of doing it for ourselves. So we don't want to disappoint others. So, you, you know, so because he believed in me, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna give you something to believe in, you know, and I just rose to that occasion. And he's like, I didn't do anything. I just, I just wanted you to see what I saw. So believe the the positive stories that or the the whatever positive or abilities people are seeing in you that you don't often believe, see in yourself, it's it's usually a good idea to believe them. So. Now, thank you. Thank you so much, Carrie. Thank and you. And your last point is everything. So thank you for reminding me of that because the last three years, my life has improved significantly because I surrounded myself with people who I saw had this belief about me that I didn't have yet about me. Yes. And I'm like, I want to believe what you believe about me. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's exactly it. 
All right. So on that note, I want to thank Judith for being on the podcast. I will definitely share information about Inclusivus, where she you could find her. And as I love to say at the end of every show, walk good. Okay, friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Carry On Friends podcast. For a recap of this episode and other great articles, please visit the blog at www.carryonfriends.com. That's C-A-R-R-Y-O-N-F-R-I-E-N-D-S dot com. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience produced by Breadfruit Media. We post a new episode every two weeks on Tuesday. And if you're looking to learn more, buy our merch, or sign up for a newsletter, check out carryonfriends.com. Or find us on all social media platforms at Carry On Friends.